BookStew viewers and listeners. If you've been watching for a while, and of course we're over 100 episodes now, and probably about seven or eight years, um, you know that I enjoy introducing firsts, or at least first to me. So I had my first poet on a while back. I had my first playwright on a while back. I've heard had uh, journalists. And um, now, for the first time, I'm going to introduce you to Linda Duggins, who actually works for a publishing house. And I know I've mentioned previously that when I first started, I was just dipping my toe in around Wilmington and to local authors. But I was lucky enough to get on somebody's list for uh, a show to recommend to authors. And Linda was one of those people when she was with Grand Central Publishing. She's since moved on. So let's see what Linda's doing now. Linda, welcome to Books Do. Thank you, Eileen. I'm really happy to be here with you. So um, you're kind of behind the scenes, yet to me, uh, everyone from publishing houses is right up front to me because A, they get to meet authors, they get to read books usually before the public does, and you have introduced me to Lisa Cross Smith, who's actually going to be my guest next month, and also to Tia Williams, whose books both took off. And then you changed jobs. But how about we, uh, if we can start from your origins in publishing? Okay, sounds good to me. Oh, about a thousand years ago, Eileen, <laughs> <laughs> I was a person very, very interested in books. And I'm one of the co-founders of the Harlem Book Fair back in the late 90s. Through that relationship with the Harlem Book Fair, I met many, many publishers, many sales and marketing folks. And luckily, I met the folks at, back then, AOL Time Warner Book Group, Time Warner Book Group, Warner Books. And I was able to join Warner Books as a senior publicist back in the early 2000s. So it was a, a very natural transition for me to have been working with authors with book fairs and then meeting the publishing professionals and then actually working in-house to get to work with authors. It's super exciting. I love books. Uh, I know you do as well. And yes, it's always fun to get to read the books before a whole lot of other people do. Have you ever read, now you're obviously not an editor. Have you ever been an editor in, in no. your career? So have, no. have you ever read a book and said, uh-oh, there's like five too many characters here or any, like you, it, it's not up to you to make those decisions, but have you ever been sorely tempted to say anything? You mean to get my little red pen out? Absolutely. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, multiple times actually, but you know, you learn that the editor has an eye, there's a, there's a, a scope and a flow for each book and each character. And as a publicist, my job was to champion the book, champion the author, and get the author in front of as many people as possible. So, you know, because I was able to write press materials for the book, I was able to put my spin on what I read and what I thought would stand out for folks to, to gravitate toward that particular book. So in essence, yes, I did some editing, because I was able to write the press material, but you know, you learn to love each book as you promote it. And a lot of the times I really truly did enjoy the books that I worked on. 
Can you think of any book, and I don't want you to slight any authors that you're not going to mention, but can you think of any book that like just zinged you in all the right places almost as soon as you read it, or any even more than one? You know, recently, Lisa Croft Smith's last novel, not, not the one that just came out a couple of weeks ago, Half Blown Rose, but she did a book, um, The Short Stories, which I know you love, So We Can Glow, but the novel, This Close to Okay, I absolutely just fell in love with the characters. I fell in love with the setting. Um, I also remember I was Tiari Jones's first publicist way back when, before Tiari became, oh, Tiari Jones, the star. And I remember being at Book Expo, oh, I don't even know how many years back, her last book, An American Marriage. She saw me on the floor. She said, Linda, here's the galley. I'll never forget this, it was May. I read the book, called her, and I said, Tiari, this is the book. It was her fourth book, fifth book, maybe fourth or fifth, I can't remember. But when I called her and told her that, and then a few months later, she called me to tell me that Oprah had called. And I said, great, you call Oprah back and tell Oprah I told you first <laughs> that this was the book. <laughs> so you just, you just had that feeling. That's amazing because that book blew up so amazingly and yes. we talked about it at my library book club and it was it was a controversial discussion on that book we had um we had a lot of opinionated people arguing about it. i also think that was a great book okay so um that that makes a lot of sense to me and i'm happy that you loved lisa's short stories because out of everything she's written i you know i have never hesitated to tell her that that was that was really where my heart was. So let's go back to you. So, um, you. so did Warner Books evolve into Grand Central or did you change careers then? It evolved. I actually, the, uh, the book group was sold to Hachette Books and we became Grand Central Publishing, that imprint. Um, and that was back in 2006. So it was a uh, it was business as usual, actually. You know, the name changed, but we were still acquiring great books and great authors and doing all the things that that we were going to do. So I remember in that early part, um, Octavia Butler, who I was a super duper fan of Octavia Butler, and I was became her publicist. Oh. And it was one of the few times in my 20 year. <laughs> career that I was, I could almost not help being this geeky fangirl. I was, I was, we were at dinner one evening. It was uh, Octavia Butler to my, my left and Nalo Hawkinson to my right, Tanana Redu, Stephen Barnes. And I remember um, maybe somebody's partner, boyfriend or something, but I kept looking to my left and I kept saying, oh my God, Octavia Butler sitting right next to me. I can't believe it. And and I would try my best not to ask what I thought was kind of silly questions because I had to <laughs> remind myself, you're the publicist, you're not the fangirl. Because I literally went to every single signing that Octavia Butler did in New York. I just, I have first editions, everything is signed. And I always had questions for her. And I didn't think she would remember me, but I did not want to be the pesky publicist. <laughs> And she has become such an icon. You know, do you have, I, I hope you ha can find a picture of that because I'm just thinking of a picture I saw of Toni Morrison walking down the street with Angela Davis because Toni Morrison was Angela Davis's publicist. 
And I'm like, this no, is her a... editor. Oh, her editor. That's right. And yes. just seeing the two of them together in the same space, no yes. less, I mean, such a personage telling Angela Davis, well, you know, the third paragraph on this page is a little flabby. So like, how would you even have the nerve <laughs> to say anything? But I guess in this case, you must have been happier to be the publicist than to be the editor because some of these people are so august. How could you even like exactly. suggest anything? Yeah, I mean, it was, I, I was in awe. She, she was, I just loved, loved, loved her work. And it's funny with the Angela Davis, here at Edelweiss, a couple of colleagues created a book club. And our very first set of authors was Angela Davis and Gina Dent, a, a group of authors who, oh goodness, Abolition Feminism Now, that's the name of the book that came out, I think in January of this year. So we had Angela Davis in book club virtually, and she was talking about Toni Morrison in that book club meeting. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm of the age where uh, back in the day, we had a picture of Angela Davis in our window, and it said, <laughs> Angela Davis, welcome here, because that was when she was, she was on the run. Okay, yes. so um, then from Grand Central, uh, you made a move to Edelweiss of, by above the tree line. So yes. we both agree that's kind of an unusual name. So how did, how did that come about? Your job you know, first and then the, the company itself. Well, I had been, I, I received an email from this woman at Edelweiss and it was a very curious email. Hi, my name is Annie. I'd love to talk to you. And it was just such a short, odd, but there was something about the email. Of course I knew Edelweiss, but I was like, well, I wonder what she wants. So I reached out. And she was talking about this book festival that they wanted to do. And perhaps I wanted to be on their publishing advisory board. And, and then we started to talk and she said, you know, I, we really would like you to come on board. And I said, well, you guys are a tech company. But I realized a tech company firmly planted within the center of the publishing industry. Edelweiss wow. works with publishers and librarians and booksellers and reviewers. And I mean, I was still going to be deep into books. I was still going to be able to see review copies. I was still going to be able to talk to different publicists and publishers. And I said, this is kind of exciting. It's something different, something new. I'm not going to be working with authors directly, but I will still touch books and authors. So I gave it a shot. I gave it a shot. Well, um, it sounds like it must have been like a little risky because um, you seem to be, you know, have spent, a, you spent a lot of your career at whatever evolved into Grand Central and you were obviously very comfortable with your role there. So I admire you for taking that leap. That's kind of scary. Well, you know what? It was, uh, and thank you. And I, I was literally getting what I thought was messages from, I'd open a book and the character would say, don't be afraid, take a chance. <laughs> I'd, I'd turn on the television and a character would say, you have to release your creativity. Don't block what comes to you. Because I was literally losing sleep, <laughs> thinking about it, saying, you know, I, I like my job. I really love working with the authors, but this is so exciting. COVID was a game changer for everybody. And I decided to just take the risk and see what would happen. That's so funny in a way, because let's say you had 
come across a book or seen something on TV that said, well, you know, we, sometimes we do, during these stressful times, we need to be comfortable and we need to burrow into our hole. But you, uh, you leaped out and took a risk. I'm glad you saw that because it sounds like you're very happy with the, the career change. That, well, not quite a career change, but the change. So yeah. let's go back to the book fairs because I've always been curious about those. They always seem like a dream job to uh, curate book fairs and to work on them. How did you come to work on the Harlem Book Fair? Well, that was an interesting thing. I worked at IBM for 15 years prior to joining the publishing industry and met a, a person who worked on books. There was a magazine called QBR, the Black Book Review. I joined that company and we were sitting talking about, let's revitalize the, you know, the Harlem arts because the, the those book fairs and those literary happenings in Harlem, that's a long standing tradition, way, going way back to the Harlem Renaissance, right? So I just had my, the skill set of reaching out to different schools, working with IBM, and I went and talked to different publishers, different salespeople, different publishers, anybody who would talk to me about, hey, what do you think about a book fair in Harlem? So it was literally grassroots, literally person by person by person, which is how I got the job at Warner Books back then, because one of the folks I met, I would call her from time to time and go, you know, I want to work at this publishing house. Go find me a job. And she would go, Linda, really? I said, yeah, my skills are transferable. Just call me when you get a job. And one day I got a call. It was really kind of crazy. But it's a lot of work, as you could imagine, Eileen, to put together a book fair, a book festival. The, the, coordinate, the coordination, which is exactly what a publicist does to make sure that the venue is set, the authors are there, the timing is set, that the cameras are there, the media is there. It's, it's a lot going on. I, I, as I look back, I'm like, my goodness, I must have been out of my mind doing that. Or and you then, were, or you were in your 20s or something when we have all the energy, no, right? No, that's the thing. I'm a late changer. I started in the publishing industry in my 40s. Oh my so, goodness! But I happen to be, thank God, I got grandma's genes, <laughs> and I started in that company, and I was running circles around my little 20-something-year-old buddies because I had a, have a lot of energy, and I was moving and grooving and making things happen, and. It was like, this is so much fun. I, I, I just naturally have that kind of energy. So it was perfect. If I was someone who did not have that kind of energy, there was no way that you could run around with authors, you know, figure out venues, get tables, chairs, all these different things that have to go into making sure a book fair or author tour or talking to the media. And you, you have to have stamina and staying power. You do. So have you ever had um, an author on a book tour where something really disastrous happened? You don't have to tell us who it is. Yeah, you know what? It, I'm trying to think. I, would I say totally disastrous? I mean, I did have a bookseller who forgot to order the books oh, at a no. venue. Oh, no. What did that you do? Pretty, that was pretty bad. Um, <laughs> did you have to run around to different bookstores and grab copies? I did that. I always had a couple of copies on my person. I mean, I didn't have enough copies, but I had a couple of copies. There was a lot of apologizing to the author. There was, you know, I always carry book plates. So I said, look, just sign these 150 uh. book plates and we'll work on the books after. And 
So that was pretty bad. You know, I've had authors uh, sleep late, miss their flight. So that messes up everything. I, uh, I was one of the funniest times for me was traveling with Shaquille O'Neal. And Shaquille was always trying to get to a store before me. And he would go, damn, I could never get short before <laughs> you get there. Well, and with his long legs, he could walk to a store before <laughs> you did. So was he was he as delightful in person as he oh. seems? Not that you're going to say anything different, but I imagine no. he was a lot of fun. He, he was so much fun. And by the time the tour was over, he actually gave me a, uh, he let me fly on his private jet back to New York. Woo. Um, he was calling me Aunt Linda. I said, hold on, buddy. I'm only 10 years older than you. Do not get to call me Aunt Linda. But there were a couple times he was like, look, I really want to leave early. I'm said, I know you do, but too bad. You have an obligation. If you don't show up to that store, Aunt Linda's going to come for you. <laughs> well, then you became Aunt Linda, right? That's if he right. didn't show up. I get it. I get it. So did you ever have, so I'm thinking about readings and how I haven't been to a reading since COVID. And I used to go all the time because here, you know, when you live outside of Boston, we've got fantastic independent bookstores and, you know, WBUR, which is the NPR station. There's always readings going on somewhere. And I used to go all the time. And I think a couple of times I've been to readings where there were only like five other people. And it was, uh, mm -hmm. I'm thinking of Jane Gardam in particular, who wrote the Old Filth trilogy. I love those books. And there was a reading and maybe four or five other people showed up. And she's yes. kind of elderly. And so the fact that she had come all the way from England, I was like, I almost felt like crying. It was so sad. Have you ever had any like really underattended readings? Oh yeah. And I too have felt sad and wanted to cry. <laughs> yes. It's you, the thing is, even when you have the media attention to, you know, your tour and you get the word out, there's so much going on. There's so many books, so many other things. And you try to work with the author to hopefully they have a network. The media that we reach out to just generally when there's a, a tour, the, the, the stores, network of media folks. And you, you start early and you just bombard people. Come out, come out, come out. I mean... Back when we were doing publicity, there was no social media stuff like now, you know, with the Instagram and Facebook. Early on, it literally was making flyers. I used to get on the subway in New York and pass out flyers and cards. Come really? to my office event. About, Come to my office no event. No kidding. Yes. Wow. I mean, that's so grassroots. That's amazing yes. now that I'm thinking of it because now there's there's book talk, there's yes. book tube. So even beyond just like Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, there's these really even niches. And yes. I haven't even looked at BookTube or BookTok yet because I feel like I can, I can handle Facebook and Twitter and that's, that's all I want to deal with. But um, <laughs> have you had to deal with those kind of even, like those seem to be really young people, social mm -hmm. media, but they all seem to be reading when they, you know, influenced by, you know, a, an influencer, they will, they'll buy books. Yes. Do you see you know, any kind of division it, between us old heads and the, and the book talk <laughs> people? 
you know, in public in the publishing house, there's the marketing team and then the social team on the marketing team, and that's their focus primarily. And then, of course, sometimes the author will have a, a strong, robust social media, and sometimes not. But I I hear you. That was not my forte. A, a phone call is still a lot. I think it, it helps. I really do. And even when I would send emails with just a personal note, people would get back to me. So I think it all helps, but I think sometimes people can be a little confused if they think it's only going to be social media, the way to get the attention. There's so much noise and chatter on social media, as you know. And I know those niche areas for the books would be helpful, but there's so much noise there too. So that personal touch from the author, the personal touch from the publicist, I think it, it makes sense. And, you know, you love books. When you talk to people about books, you go, read this. I love it. And people listen to you. They do. Well, I'm sure they listen to you anyway. <laughs> so um, when you're not at work, like what, what books are on your nightstand? What do you read for pleasure? Oh, my goodness. It, it is almost ridiculous, the, the piles that I have. I have Lisa's book, which I'm just about to delve into Half Blown Rose. I'm reading, um, oh my goodness, there's a book that I'm reading now. Oh, it's right here. All right, yay. <laughs> um, when We Were Birds oh. by Ayana Lloyd Bonwell. I don't know if you're familiar with this, no. a Trinidadian writer. Ah. It's, it's just lyrical and beautiful. And I woke up at six o'clock this morning just because, and I got a cup of tea, sat in my bed, and just started to read more of the book. I, this is a young man, he's working in a graveyard, but he's a Rastafarian, and that is something against their religion. So he's he's having this struggle, but he cuts off his dreads and goes to work. He needs the money. And it's just so interesting through his eyes as he walks through this cemetery and the fact that he has never, in his 25 years, been in a cemetery, never attended a funeral. Uh, it's just fascinating to me. It almost With sounds like lyricism. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I'm thinking it almost has like a Lincoln in the Bardo type of sound to it. But it, it's it's not quite that. It is just. I mean, he's a young man. He needs a job, but he's also questioning a lot of different things. You know. And I, I just, I think this is awesome. This happens to be, though, uh, Edelweiss. I told we have a book club. This is our book club pick that uh -huh. we have a meeting um, tomorrow to discuss. Uh-oh, so, so you gotta, you got to hang up with me I and finish that finish. book. But I have to yeah. tell you, I have had, I had two Trinidadian authors on, I don't know oh. if it was this year or last year, Lauren, Lauren. Francis Schwama and Celeste yeah. Mohammed. And we technically pulled it off with Celeste being in Trinidad and Lauren being in the United States. And I just happened to coincidentally read both of their books around the same time. And I'm like, wow, this is like different perspectives on Trinidad, but it was, it, it made Trinidad. Trinidad has a fascinating story and both of those books really brought it out. So I'll look forward to reading the one that you're gonna, the birds, what's, tell me the name of it's it again. It's called When We Were Birds by Ayana Lloyd Bonwo. Okay, I'm gonna put, I'll put that out for, uh, for everybody to take a look at. Um, so I have another question for you. I think that campaigns like Oscars So White and uh, recognition of all the neglect that has gone on with 
with uh, authors, performers, movies, plays, ignoring black people, ignoring brown people. This year seems to me to be a peak for recognition that that was going on. I mm -hmm. hope it's not a flavor of the year type of thing where uh, this, the recognition and the opportunities um, seem greater to me now. I don't want to think that next year that's all going to go away. Uh, what's your feeling about that? Eileen, from your lips to God's ears. <laughs> Truly, I mean, we've been in, on this planet long enough and in the industry long enough to see the cycles. And I am concerned about, okay, we know from 2020, 21, and we know it can be like the flavor of the day, the flavor of the week. There are people who just lose interest. Um, there is something about this <laughs> publishing also oh white. Yes, still is. And there are people who are very, very serious in the industry about making change, bringing in all types of literature because there's so much out there to be connecting people with, but people have very short memories and they go back to their old ways because when you look inside a publishing house, it's majority white people. So you don't like, I, I spent a lot of time, excuse me, Mr. Publisher, excuse me, CEO, excuse me, in addition to my job because I had to speak up. I had to say, come on, are you really gonna publish this book? I used to say to my colleagues, you know, we publish many, many books each season. There's some awful books by white writers, awful books by black writers, but you guys still publish the white writers. Why don't, if you're gonna look at it that way, why not just keep publishing everybody? But you don't, you actually say, oh, that black writers book didn't work. We can't do another one. Like there's this weird quota thing in people's heads. So yep, it's like plays and movies too. It's the same thing. Oh, that movie failed, so we, you know, we're going to just push that aside and go back exactly. to our old thing. I'm just thinking of this horrible quote from James Patterson, who I can't stand anyway. Not that I have to worry about it, because he's never going to be on this show. Well, he was whining that white, oh, 52-year-old white men don't get a chance. I'm like, did you, have you ever opened your eyes? Are you insane to say something? And he got smacked down all over Twitter and social media badly for it. Because first of all, you're the richest writer, ex you know, except for maybe Stephen King in the world. And Stephen King doesn't say stupid things like that. So what I is know. the matter with you? That, But at least people get smacked down when they say stuff like that. Now, it doesn't just float by as the wit and wisdom of James Patterson, you know? Right. And and it, it speaks to his white privilege. It really, truly does, where he is not even conscious of some of those words and how they fall on people's ears and other people. Because I, I saw some of the comments by some of the other white male writers. They were like, really? Come on, stop your whining. And all the other things that they were saying. It's like, I am not going to... I'm trying my best not to judge James Patterson, but that comment is absurd to me. I'm, I'm glad we agree because my, my head exploded. So um, we only have a few minutes left. So uh, tell us more about um, Above the Treetops and what... I so, love it. <laughs> that's another name. <laughs> and um, you mentioned how that came about. I hope you tell, you'll tell uh, share that with us and also um, what you see your ultimate purpose there as. 
Well, above the tree line, and John Rubin is the CEO. Um, he's a wonderful CEO, very, very brilliant, open, willing to, to learn and see and share. And one of the things that I'm super, super excited about being at Edelweiss above the tree line is they saw the need to reach out to me to bring me in because they really are trying to make a change in this industry to bring more black and brown, others of color, LGBTQ+. The, the communities that live on this planet should be involved in this industry. And they are also a tech company. So they're also trying to bring in folks. I created an internship program at Edelweiss for the publishing side. There's my colleague, Chris Kempton there, who's already established a tech internship. We are currently looking at with various colleagues, a BIPOC bookseller scholarship. Oh. So we, we are on town hall, Running, we've had two town halls speaking to black bookstore owners and black booksellers. We are extending that, reaching out to other folks of color, booksellers, because we would love to speak to the publishers about supporting these independent bookstores, supporting BIPOC bookstore owners and booksellers, because you know, it's, it's a hard job as is. They're underrepresented. They don't have the same resources. And Edelweiss, we are a software company. We know how to help the bookseller do what they want to do best, sell books. So let us handle and help with the business side of it for you. Excellent. Um, that was a great elevator speech or escalator <laughs> speech. But I want to, as long as you mentioned um, Black-owned bookstores, I want to shout out to Mahogany Books in Virginia. Um, that's the favorite bookstore of Lamar Giles, who won a, who's an author who's been on Book Stew many times. So um, I'm afraid we have to wrap it up, but uh, Linda, I wanna thank you for joining us because um, I'm so, it was very invigorating for me to see the other side, like what goes on behind in the, in the publishing world and hear your enthusiasm for what you're doing and the fact that we, we share our love for authors. And um, I just want you to thank, to thank you for joining me today. It was really a pleasure. Thank you. I had so much fun, Eileen. I really appreciate you. And I will be se sending your email to lots of other publicity friends Ooh. of mine to get authors your way. Thank you. Thank you. Thank okay, you. Um, Bookstew viewers and listeners, thank you so much. And our mutual friend, Linda, and my mutual friend, Lisa Cross-Smith, will be my guest next month with her amazingly hot book, Half-Blown Rose, that is up on billboards in Times Square, and it's at airport, bookstores, everything she ever dreamed of. So I look forward to seeing you again next month. Have a good night.